Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. Welcome to HR Latte. This is Rayanne Thorne, your host. I've invited back Lauren Russell, who is assault and harassment prevention expert. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. Thanks again for joining me as we continue this series, Harassment and Assault Prevention. If you could give us a brief overview of yourself, what you do, where you work, and why we should listen to you. Oh, absolutely. Well, really, my work is about empowering people to walk through the world with less fear and more confidence. So for the past 26 years, through my communication consulting firm, which is Esteem, I've offered harassment and assault prevention trainings to companies, organizations, colleges, schools, pretty much anywhere we can get a group together where we can empower people to to feel better about themselves. Great. Well, I am certainly happy to have you on the show and just giving us this great advice and information that we need, especially today when this topic is so important and there is a heightened awareness of harassment, of assault. In our last episode, I shared my own personal story of being drugged on a business trip at a bar by a trusted bartender night manager at a restaurant that I had never been to. But as a woman who travels alone often, we learn to trust or we need to trust the folks that help us, the service providers that are out there, whether they are hotel managers, flight attendants, taxi cab drivers, the drivers for the shared services, folks that run Airbnbs, whoever are out there that help travelers, in particular restaurants where if you're traveling, you spend a lot of time. So I really would love to talk about the next step in this, Lauren, and that would be prevention, the prevention side of it, and also solutions for individuals, for HR professionals, for executive teams at organizations. But before we get there, let's review the definition of what sexual harassment is, if you don't mind. Sure. I mean, the most basic definition is it's it's unwanted sexual advances that are visual, verbal, or physical that is in, is sexual in nature. So really, it's anything that we look at and go, this has to do with sexuality or the fact that I am a man or I am a woman, that I'm getting these kinds of comments. And it, as long as it's unwanted, it's probably going to fall under that line. Okay, so that that is the key. And I don't even know if, if unwanted is, you know, we talked briefly about what some person, one individual might think is harassment. Somebody else might not think it's harassment. And a lot of it has to do with upbringing. A lot of it has to do with your own personal confidence and what you're comfortable with. But it's not just about you. If you are perceived as the victim, it's about the folks around you that might hear or see something that makes them uncomfortable. And I think that is one of the the key issues that happens today in the workplace is if you witness it and you are uncomfortable what you should do. So we're, I'd love to talk about a couple of different things. One thing that I read and that you and I have spoken about in the past is certainty of self. What does that mean? Well, it has to do with your, your own level of confidence in how you feel about things, what you feel is actually valid and should be respected. Okay. And that you're doing that, if you're respecting your own feelings and you're putting it out there, then other people are, are going to recognize where those boundaries are. Yeah. 
I think that's one of the the most fascinating sides of this is when I first became very visible online, you know, a lot of marketing today is through social media, is through an online presence. And initially, I received a lot of unwanted (laughs) messages, right? But I think over the years, as my presence online has developed, it's been very clear that I am confident that I will not respond politely to those types of messages. So I've, I've worked really hard to create an online image that portrays me as a confident individual that uh, has found success and doesn't need or want that type of attention. Is that important? Is it important to show self-confidence online as well as in person in the workplace? Absolutely. You have the same outcome, whether it's whatever the venue is. And when you're talking about confidence, I think we also need to connect that to the concept of being assertive. And assertiveness is more about your communication style. So if you're communicating assertively, and I'll give you my definition of assertiveness because I think it's important to kind of put in context. Assertiveness for me is really respectfully educating other people on how to treat you. And when you think about that, It's not about being aggressive. It's not about stepping on anybody's toes. It's not about going over the line. It's just about being really clear about what's okay and not okay with you. We know a lot about how women have been labeled bossy when really they are assertive, they are confident, they move through their workday, through their work life with a a different level of self-confidence. Maybe ego helps them get through that and... (sighs) How do we be assertive without being labeled bossy? You do it. What Sometimes, you know what? It, you're going to be labeled bossy because that's how someone is going to kind of gender what you're doing, right? They're going to, oh, right. a, a woman who's being strong is, is being bossy. A man who's being strong is being strong. Being a leader. Yes. <laughs> so that, that norm, we can't change that overnight. But the more that we continue to just push forward and say, no, that I'm, I'm just being clear here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in my job. If I'm the leader, if I'm the supervisor, yes, I'm going to be telling people what to do, right? So we have to sort of let go of getting too worked up about certain labels. And the more that we just kind of stand our ground and just continue to kind of plow forward, the less those labels are going to stick, a bossy or bitchy or right. any of those, right? Good, good. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. So that being said, Let's talk about what you have called verbal assertive skills Mm -hmm. and how individuals can develop those skills and be able to ward off sexual harassment or stop it in its tracks. So when we're talking about verbal skills, I want to make clear that when I'm encouraging women in particular to be assertive in their communication style, it's not a personality trait. In other words, I'll have some women say, well, you know, I'm really shy. I'm kind of on the shy side of things. I'm not very outgoing. It's not about how shy or outgoing you are. When you are being assertive, that is a skill that you can actually develop. So it's not a personality trait. It's just simply a communication skill. So when we do this, when we say to someone, you know, I'd I'd appreciate it if you didn't tell those jokes around me. You know, I find them offensive. So when I say that to you, Rayanne, what do you think about me? You know, there are a couple of things come to mind. One, I need to be respectful, right? And this person is 
strong enough to tell me their thoughts, their feelings. And so I need to be respectful of that. The other thing I might think, oh, well, she's a little uptight, you know? <laughs> so, so there are a couple of ways I think you can do this so that the right message is given, correct? So did you feel that I was attacking you? No, not at all. Right. And so that's one of the keys. When we're setting a clear boundary, we're not attacking the other person. We're not saying, hey, I can't stand that you're telling those jokes or, you know, you need to, you need to knock it off. We're not going over the top. We're just saying, you know what, this is how I'm feeling in this situation. This is what's going on for me. And here's the boundary I'm setting. Are you going to respect that boundary? And most people are going to go, okay. And whether or not you think I'm uptight or you were just like, oh, okay, she's clear about what she wants. Either one of those, it's okay with me, whichever one you thought, as long as you actually respect the boundary. And that is the key. It's actually using what you know, the language skills that you have to set those boundaries and make sure that the boundaries are clear. Is there something that might be confusing about any of this? Well, I think sometimes for women in particular, when we start to train to to communicate more assertively, we think it it feels aggressive. Right. Right. We think we're we're crossing that line over into being too harsh. And it's really not because when you're aggressive, you don't care about the relationship. You don't care about what's going on for the other person. You just want your need met no matter what, no matter what the cost. Right. But that's not what's happening when I'm just saying, hey, this is how I feel. This is what I need you to do. I need you to respect that boundary. I'm being respectful in the way that I'm interacting with you. I'm considering you as another person in this interaction. And that's going to be received by the other person appropriately. And if it's not, then that's that's an issue for them, right? And sometimes when you start to be assertive, when you haven't been before, it can be a little shocking to people. Like, hey, wait a second. She's setting a boundary. She's letting me know what's going on for her. They can be taken aback, but then they'll be like, oh, okay, this is who we're dealing with now. Okay, so this covers when something is said that makes you uncomfortable, when something is talked about that mm-hmm. makes you uncomfortable. Perhaps it's foul language. Perhaps it's somebody that's just the way they said something to you or complimented you, made you feel uncomfortable, had sexual undertones. What if somebody touches you or in my case with the drugging, there was an attempt to pull me into a secluded area? What can you do? verbally, you know, we're not talking about self-defense classes. We're not talking about taking taking somebody out right now. We're talking about using your brain, using your mouth to ward off this unwanted advances or harassment or assault of any kind. How can we ward off somebody using our verbal skills if there's actually unwanted touching? That's a great question. And I'm going to preface my answer by giving you some interesting research that came out in 2015. And I know we're not talking about self-defense, but you'll see the connection. They showed that women who had taken a self-defense training that included verbal assertiveness training had a 63% less likely chance of having an attempted assault in the following year than the women who hadn't. And so what we're looking at there is when you can be strong in your words and set clear boundaries, you are less likely to actually be even physically assaulted. Now you're talking about a physical touch, an inappropriate touch. Right. And that's happening. It's very clear that a boundary is being crossed, right? It's your personal physical boundary. And so you have every right to turn to that person, face them directly. So we're looking at body language here, right? And say, hey, that doesn't, that's not okay. Or I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. Or what are you doing? And when you address something directly, the 
person who was trying to see what they could get away with. Can I touch her here? Can I touch her lower back? Can I, yeah. can I, can I rub her back? And when you turn and you address them and you look them in the eye and you say, what's going on? Or I'm not comfortable with that. They usually will immediately back down and say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. Or if they don't back down and they start to give you some trouble about that, then you know for sure, wow, this really was a power move and they're trying to make me uncomfortable. And now I know I have to deal with this person even you know, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned lower back. I think that's a vulnerable area for women. And, and when you just think about when women and men dance, it's the area where a man puts his hand to direct you, right? Or if your significant other is there, it's a an, an area that somebody touches you to show intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. And I can remember an experience and probably other women or individuals can remember something like this that's happened to them. I was working on PTA and one of the dads consistently would come up to me and put his hand on my lower back as he was talking to me. Right. And I was too intimidated by that to say anything or pull, you know, this was many, many years ago. I would never hesitate now, (laughs) but you know, many, many years ago as a young mother who did not have a lot of experience in a corporate work environment. And this individual was a corporate man, you know, Mm. and it was very uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. And as you were describing it, it I had instant recall to that. Sure. And I, I would never have remembered that had you not mentioned the lower back. So what would be the right thing to say without offending or, <laughs> you know, being marked as the bitch for right. turning and saying, you know what, I don't, I don't want you to touch me that way. How do, how do we do this so that we still maintain that level of respect that you're hoping to maintain without being thought of as a bitch? So when I said, one of the examples I think I just gave was, you know, I'm not comfortable with you doing that. Is there anything bitchy or over the top about that? There's not, but we, we question it because it's usual for women to set the boundary. Our physical boundaries get, get crossed way more than men. Supervisors touch subordinates way more than subordinates touch supervisors. Absolutely. Right. So it's just something that we're very used to. And so when you see someone or you hear someone actually speak up and set the boundary, it's sort of shocking, but it shouldn't be, right? And again, this is if it were the other way around and some man, let's just say, let's just put it a man on man because I think that would be really obvious. Right. If one man touched another man in a way that he wasn't comfortable, what do we think that guy would do? Oh, he'd get punched. You know, or yeah, yeah he'd be shoved like, or told right away, foul language, exactly. would, you know, there would be something that would... A, a right. man would be very comfortable in stating how he's feeling. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even say it feeling. He wouldn't say, not, I'm feeling uncomfortable, right? right? He would say, do not touch me like that. Right. You know? and, we wouldn't, and I'm not saying all men would. Some men might feel uncomfortable saying that as well. But we wouldn't look at that man and go, wow, he's over the top. Yeah. Wow, what's no, this problem? No, he wouldn't. Right? So this is a gendered thing. And we just have to kind of keep that in mind that we're not doing anything that's inappropriate. We're just doing something that people might not expect from our sex. Right. Okay. That's so so important to remember, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you for that advice, for the tips and tools that we can use. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about HR and management and what they can do. We'll be right back. HR Latte is brought to you by Dovetail Software, a SaaS-based HR case management and help desk solution to ease today's HR departments into tomorrow. 
simple but powerful real-time employee engagement, knowledge management, and detailed analytics empower human resource departments and shared services teams to effectively handle any type of employee interaction. Dovetail Software by HR for HR. All right, and we are back. Thanks again to Dovetail Software for sponsoring this series. We feel like it's really important right now, given what's happening with companies like Uber and other celebrities that have run into problems <laughs> with either drugging or uh, sexual harassment. Anyway, we're going to move forward, and I want to continue to talk a little bit before we move on to the executive leadership and HR side of things. Think anything further that individuals can do. I know for me, when I was being very assertive in a couple of different situations, one where I was approached at a gas station and I was in fear, I felt fear, that danger part Mm -hmm. of me kicked in. And the other happened at the incident in the restaurants, restaurant where I was traveling and I felt like I was in danger because of the drugging that took place. I used my hand just holding my hand straight up in front of my face, locked arm, locked elbow, right. extended you know, three feet away from my face as far as I could reach with my fingers spread saying no and stop. Is that something, I mean, it was, it was my instinct at that moment, right? To protect myself in that way, just you know, holding my arm out. Is that something that is normal that, that women or individuals should do that feel or have that fear of danger? Well, Rayanne, your instincts are very good. Okay, um, good. What you were doing there was uh, your nonverbal communication was matching your verbal communication, right? Okay. So that hand up that says stop is the visual that people will respond to even if you hadn't followed it up with the actual appropriate words of stop or get away or back off. That's the whole goal of prevention when we're talking about assault prevention is we want to have that match between what your body's saying and what your words are saying. Right. And, you know, when we talked, I think, on the very first podcast about the statistic of one in three women right. being harassed in the workplace, that is matched by one in three women being assaulted in her lifetime. Wow. And we live in a world right now where 45% of women don't feel safe walking alone near their home at night. I, I mean, I live in a nice, secluded neighborhood and I don't feel safe. Right. I have learned tricks about crossing the street at a certain mm-hmm. time, or, sure. you know, if I see if a car slows, I turn around and go the other way. I mean, there, yes. it's sad that I live in a nice area and I still feel compelled to change my patterns in order to stay safe. But that is the number one goal is you do have to stay safe. And sometimes that means a little bit of inconvenience. Right. But if you're, if your listeners thought for a moment right now about if they were walking and they had about a five-minute walk to get where they were going, their car, their destination, and they thought there was a, a guy behind them that was actually following them, walking behind them, what would you do? And the number one response that women have to that situation, literally nine times out of 10, is to walk faster. Yeah. And it's a very natural response to have because you have an adrenaline rush. You want to create some distance. That all makes sense. But what does that tell the perpetrator about you? You're afraid. Yeah. And what, you're going to outwalk him? Right. Right. So what we can learn taking, and and I do, my answer to your question is women should take self-defense classes. And here's why. If you take a self-defense class, you learn how to handle those situations. You learn how to turn around and confront in the way that you did in your situation so that it doesn't become physical. The whole point of any training is prevention. But if you have 
learned what you can physically do. And in the classes that we teach, and I've taught over a thousand workshops to women of all ages, we teach women to disable an attacker in seconds using your strengths against his weaknesses. And it's not something you have to train for years to master. We train in the adrenaline state so that you, you get to go up against guys who are all padded up so you get to hit them full force, which is <laughs> an experience. Yeah, but if you have that training, if you know I can physically take care of myself, how much easier is it for you to set a verbal boundary with someone? So if that guy's coming up behind you and you think he's targeting you, you're going to feel pretty strong about turning around and saying, hey, back off, get away from me. Right. Because in the back of your head, you know, if he doesn't back off, if he keeps coming, I'm ready to do the next thing. I can actually physically protect myself. That is key. It goes back to what we're talking at the top of this show is feeling confident, having that ability yeah. to be assertive enough to put him off guard or the individual that's going to attack you. I don't want I don't want to say that every attacker or, right, but or assault person is a, a male, right? So that's right. That's true. But anyone who is actually targeting someone they're looking for someone they can easily overpower. They don't want to fight for control. They don't want to have it be some back and forth. They want to have total control. So in your situation, when you turn around and put your hand up and said, get away from me, back off, that was enough for that person to go, oh, wow, this is not how this was supposed to go. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's great advice. So let's move on to back to the workplace. We're going to go back to the workplace and talk about if you as an individual feel that you have been harassed and you don't want it to continue and you go to the human resources department or you talk to your supervisor, mm-hmm. how can you as an individual, before we go to the other side where H, what HR should do, how can you make sure that you've done the right thing? Is it appropriate to review the employee manual? If there's something in place already, what you should sure. do? Should you go directly to talk to somebody? Should you send an email? What's the best way to make sure that you are heard as an individual? Well, one of the things you do want to do, you do want to look at the employee handbook and see what have they said is the protocol here? Who are the people I'm supposed to go to? It'll probably be something that would be fairly obvious so that if you aren't going to your supervisor, you are going to the director of HR and letting them know what happened. I would say that you need to document it. And what I mean by that is whatever happened or whatever series of things happened, write them down with dates this is what happened on this date. This is how I handle it. Or this is what the situation was so that you have kind of a record of what's going on so that when you go into HR, which is going to be an uncomfortable situation for you, no one likes to talk about, no one wants to come forward, but at least you have, okay, this is what happened and I'm not elaborating on it and I'm not forgetting things like I have it. This is what's going on. And so you present that to them and then they should say, you know, okay, we're going to take care of this and we will get back to you with how we're handling this. So if you're asking about what that person does from that point, they should say, when should I expect to hear from you? So that you have sort of a timeline about how long it should be before you're going to hear back from HR. They're not going to tell you everything that they do, but they will tell you things that you need to know about how this was resolved. So you be assertive even in that situation and set the level of expectation. Yes. You need to know when am I going to be notified of how this was handled or when this was handled. And they should be able to give you that information within a time frame. So let's talk about HR. It's going to have different protocols in place depending on size of company, what has been established already. Maybe there's never been an incident and the individual has never handled an incident and doesn't know what to do. What, What should HR do to make sure that this issue or challenge 
is addressed, rectified if need be, and prevented for the future. Well, like you said, every organization is going to have their own protocol. And so I can't give a one-size-fits-all answer to that. But one of the things that they need to have is they do need to have their own policy. Like, And if they don't have a policy about how we handle these situations, they need to create one so that they can follow it. I mean, I know that sounds so obvious, but it's really true. And if HR doesn't know, if they haven't been trained and they don't know where to get this information, they need to go to their executive team and say, hey, we need something in place here. We're going to be in violation of a lot of things if we don't have a policy that everyone can follow. So they should simply follow their own policy. And if HR is not doing what they're supposed to do, and that the victim is noticing, hey, nothing's happening, or I'm not seeing that this is being addressed, then they need to step it up and they need to go above the HR person and say, hey, this has not been handled. So really, you want to have that executive team on board and HR needs to make sure the executive team is listening and that they're on board. And if HR is not doing it, then the individual does. But again, there should never be a case where the individual has to go to the executive team because HR didn't do what they were supposed to do. And that's what we're seeing in the news. And that's why these have become really big issues, right? That have right. a lot of, there's a lot of litigation going on, but that could have been avoided. Absolutely. Right. And, and there's an article in the bio of this show, and I'll make sure it's in the bio of this show as well as the other two episodes. I believe it was in Fortune magazine or Forbes, but Eric Holder was actually brought into the Uber situation to review and yes. look at what happened. I mean, he's, you know, he's a, was the top lawyer in this country for right. many years. And yeah. he actually stated that if your HR processes had been in place, if you'd had some type of HR tracking in place, this wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have escalated to it. Obviously, the first occurrence would have happened. But if if there had been something in place where it was actually being managed, I think the issue was it was being ignored. Yes, this particular person had repeated offenses with different people. And HR was trying to blow it off by saying, oh, it's just a first time occurrence. And they time they were saying that. They kept saying that, right. So that they really were at fault here. And, you know, now Uber is saying, you know, we're going to accept all of his recommendations, Mm. right? So that's good. good. They're making the changes, but let's do prevention, people, right? Let's not have to have something like this happen. And I will go back to this again and again. Communication skills are the real key to prevention. We're talking about the communication between the individuals and the interaction, We're talking about communication between that person and HR. We're talking about HR communicating with the executive team and the executive team communicating to the entire organization that this is not tolerable behavior. We're going to do something about it. All of that is the key. Isn't that interesting that communication is so valuable? (laughs) It's so many different things. So preventing this from happening in leading a company to success, in leading relationships to success communication is the key. It's the most valuable tool we have as individuals for our own personal success and success in the different endeavors that we pursue in our lives. I love that. So what about the executive team? It goes back to setting those expectations of what is and is not tolerable, correct? Yes. And they need to be very verbal about that. It should be said in meetings. It should be said in front of you know, when the whole organization's getting together, anywhere that that can be said in front of people to say, look, this is how we feel about this. We as an executive team are committed to this organization being one that is harassment free. And we will address the situation if there is something that comes up that makes you uncomfortable. If that message is coming from the top down, 
I can't tell you how much will be prevented by that because people will believe, oh, something will be done. So the people who are harassed will actually speak up because they believe something will be done. The people who might think about crossing boundaries might have to think twice because they think, oh, you know what? This might actually get addressed. I might not get away with this. It prevents a lot just by having the top executives verbalize that commitment. And it may be in an email to everybody. That's okay, too. But it needs to be said. Again, communication. So, so important. We could talk for hours on this topic. Unfortunately, we are out of time and it's been such a great series. Lauren, any last words of advice for our listeners? When you see something, say something. You're the person who is targeted or you're seeing something happen for someone else. Don't ignore it. It doesn't tend to go away. It tends to get worse. So the sooner that something is dealt with, the sooner everyone can move on and be happier in the workplace. Even if you say something as simple as, you know, I saw that, it made me uncomfortable. Are you okay? Yes. It could be something very simple, very casual. Absolutely. And particularly for supervisors, if you have any kind of supervisory role, it is the onus is on you to kind of check in in those situations. Right. Okay. Well, very good. Thank you, Lauren. Really appreciate your expertise on this topic. If folks want to reach out to you and get in touch with you, what's the best way? Going to the website is wonderful. www.esteemcommunication.org. You'll find all my contact information. Okay. So that's Perfect. the best. Thank you so much for having me, Rayanne. Thank you so much. Please watch for information coming out about this topic. We're going to continue to share information and talk about it. And in the bio section of this particular series, each of the episodes, we've done three episodes, you will be able to, there will be resources available the website for Esteem Communication, as well as links to articles and other information that is available to help you understand this topic a little bit more and to assist you as an individual and also as an HR professional. And maybe you have your own company and you just want to know how to get a handle on it before it gets out of hand and not run the risk that so many other companies are running today. So yes, thanks again, Lauren. One more thing I wanted to add, have live sexual harassment prevention training. It's really key to showing everyone in the company that you're committed to the issue. Research shows that it's the most effective prevention for harassment. So look into that. Yeah, I think there are many cases where it's offered online. So what is the disadvantage for online sexual harassment prevention training? Well, you don't have, not all of your questions get answered, but you can get them answered in a live training. And a question that you have is something probably one of your coworkers has as well. And then everyone's going to hear the answer to that. People are more engaged, so they actually have, it's, sh it's shown that there's a lasting influence on behavior when you've done live training versus online. Online, people just sort of click through as fast as they can to get through it. As they want to get done, right? They want to get done, and we really want the change to happen and that cultural change, that shift of this is what this company's committed to. And we can also, your training can be customized to the particular needs and culture of that organization. So I really I hope that uh, some of your listeners will take advantage of my discount. But even if you don't go with my organization, really consider live training over online. Is there a way to cheat on online training also? I mean, it seems like it might be easy to let somebody else do it or like you said, run through it, not even really read it. I've talked to several people who've had other people do the training for them. Oh. You can do it on your own time and, you know, someone's got more time than the other person, maybe a spouse or something. And so, again, you're you're missing out and, and they're not they don't have that level of accountability with each other. Right. right. So if, if you're in a training with other people around you and you're <laughs> about the same thing, then you're like, oh, right. now we know we know what's appropriate here. Right. right? So we're going right. to call right. each other out. You can just say uh, you were in the same class as I. 
when you That's when right. you see something, right? So exactly, exactly. So I didn't want to leave without mentioning that. No, I appreciate it. Fabulous information. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to reach out. You can always tweet HR at HR Latte and happy to get back to you or forward information off to Lauren. So again, thanks so much, Lauren. Really appreciate you sharing your expertise. Thank you, Fran. Please stay tuned for upcoming episodes of HR Latte, where we will talk about anything that HR should be paying attention to. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.